The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex, episode 197 on the OneOuter.com podcast, sponsored by americascardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from americascardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the OneOuter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash OneOuter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on OneOuter.com website and also via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then please email questions at OneOuter.com or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Alex, it's Thursday. How are you? I'm good, Barry. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, we had a little bit of fun last night. It was quite strange, actually. Um, Alex asked to put the show recording back an hour today, and I said, yeah, that's no problem. And I just got back from seeing Halloween 40th anniversary at the cinema, and I was telling Alex uh, a story. So we always look for some sort of little intro thing, Alex, so we, sh- we can maybe share that uh, today, um, what happened. So I went to the cinema, or the pictures, as we call it in Scotland, uh, to see Halloween 40th anniversary. And I went with my little sister, who's 26 now, and she's a nurse who like works in cardiology. So that'll the reason I've mentioned that is it'll become clear in a minute. So we went to the cinema to go and see Halloween, and I walked up, bought the tickets, etc. Got the food, walked towards the screen, uh, walking up the stairs towards our seat, and on like the third or fourth step. I just rolled my ankle completely and went over my ankle. And it's a bad ankle I've sprained and tore ligaments countless times in my life on. And, I, you know, the house lights were still on and a few people sort of looked at me and then didn't want to make eye contact. I, just, I didn't fall completely. It was a big stumble. And, uh, you know, with like this large coke and nachos in my hand looking like a complete idiot. But I managed to hold on and save the food. And um, I was walking up the stairs and we got to our seats and we sat down and I just said, I said, I've really, really done this bad, you know, to my sister. And she was like, oh, have you? Like, really? I was like, yeah. She went, why not? I said, I'll be fine. So I tried to put my foot up a bit, but I paid extra for these premier seating, which gives you more leg room. But in this case, that's worse for me because I couldn't get my foot up, you know, against the seat in front of me to, like, take some pressure off it. So... I'm sitting there, you know, five minutes pass, and that whole, like, almost shock thing is, like, cold sweat and feeling really, like, sort of lightheaded. And this, the pain was really bad. You know, it's it's past pain sort of thing. And I could feel my ankle throbbing. And I said, um, 
you know, Gemma was just sitting there, no problem, eating her nachos, and I was laughing because of the pain as well. But I was like, God, if I was here on my own, Gemma, I would have just left. And she went, well, do you want to go? I was like, no. She went, oh, okay then. And she's just going back, eating her nachos and everything, no problem. Because, as I say, she works as a nurse, like crazy chefs. She's dealing with people in cardiac arrest and with real problems. Not some big man-child who's just went over his ankle, you know, because he's probably walking clumsily up the, the thudding up these stairs, you know. And um, so that was me, like, I was just a bit delirious. And uh, then I realised I'd lost my phone. And I was like, where's my phone? So she, my sister went down to see if it was where I, you know, stumbled, wasn't there. One of the ushers with the light were like, if we find it, we'll keep it till the end. So I just couldn't sort of settle. Luckily, the couple next to me had some paracetamol-like painkillers on them. So I got two of them. It just got worse and worse. I actually had to get up and go up the back row and, like, keep my leg elevated for a good five, ten minutes. Let the painkillers do their work. And then I sort of settled down, came back and sat down. So after that, anyway, I found my phone. It was under the seat. That was that done. That was, you know... You realise how much your life's in your phone, all my bank cards, everything like that. And um, we were coming home and stuff, and then Alex had messaged me saying, can we do it an hour? And I texted Alex saying, um, oh, yeah, no problem, that's good. Um, I'll be in most of the day anyway. I went over my ankle at the picture. I mean, hold up, let me tell the story. In my mind, <laughs> I imagine Barry going, yeah, I went over my ankle. Now, now, what would you think, Americans listening to that, what do you think that would mean? So, in my in my head, I, I thought Barry pissed himself. <laughs> I was like, damn, Barry is really getting old. <laughs> I mean, he's sick all the time. I really had, had, was talking with myself, like, do I have to have a talk with him about he needs to go to his doctor more often? Because this is getting a little absurd. Then... Finally, I read the text again and went, oh, oh, that's his Scottish way of telling me he fell down and uh, twisted his ankle. I was going to say something much ruder, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. So I get it now. Even at the time, I was like, how has he derived that from what I've said? And then when Alex explained it to me, and says, you went over your ankle. So I get it. Some people, you know, I've seen that on American films, like, you know, they went and whatever to the to the toilet, to the bathroom, etc. So, did, did you pee, honey? I went. Yeah, yeah. in that point. I, uh, to be honest with you, it's not... I bet if you said that to 100 people on the street in the States, I don't think many people would get my interpretation, maybe like 30, right, who have done some babysitting or something. But I have no idea where the hell I got that. But that's just not... We would just say I, I sprained my ankle or I fell over and sprained my ankle or something. You would never say I went over my ankle. That was <laughs> that, I, well. The the weirdest thing was okay. You were having like the enhanced Halloween experience with pain added at at that time. I was too, which was not as bad as what you were going through. But I, I do this weird thing now where I don't eat much during the day, and I'm not really sure why I do that. But, yeah, I ended up deciding eating my first real meal of the day at, like, 6 or 7 p.m. And not that I didn't snack or anything before, but, like, really small stuff. And I decided to get this uh, this salmon and quinoa thing at a local place that was spicy. And I was just sitting there 
I, I decided to play video games. I was playing an old game, Bioshock, and it was, like, on the most terrifying level ever. Uh, there was, you know, there was, like, doll's head going on, like, uh, wheelchairs, like, just gliding through the levels and stuff like that, and the uh, New York is on fire and stuff like that. And because I was sick, because I had spicy food on an empty stomach, I was like, oh, my God, this is terrible. And then... The first thing I hear is from my buddy, like, oh, man, I went over my ankle. I'm like, this just got so bizarre. Like, everybody's screwing up. My life is just changing at this very enhanced horror movie film life. By the way, every poker fan has turned off this podcast at this point, Barry. I just hope you know. Thanks. <laughs> but it was funny. At, at the end, Alex says, uh, anyway, I got to go because this PlayStation isn't going to play itself. So that's how much. <laughs> it's like, yeah, buddy. Cool. I was more worried about you when you told me you pissed yourself. Yeah. It was fun. If I did that, I wouldn't have told you or anybody. <laughs> I thought you were confiding in me. <laughs> Like, damn, Barry, like, you really got to see the doctor. I mean, this is seven weeks running on the show. You're sick with something. You do have to see the doctor just about whatever the hell it is that keeps allowing you to pick up bugs and go over your ankle. I know. I know. Um, you can't leave the house. That's what I've concluded. You know, I'm just I'm a, safe just staying home. Sure. But as a side note, Halloween 40th anniversary was... I mean, it's the film I've seen hundreds of times. My sister had never seen the original. Um, so with a new one coming out next week, I wanted to go and see it again. And it, it's just amazing how that stands up. And, you know, 400, I think the budget was something like a few hundred thousand, 300,000 or something, or maybe even less than that in 1978. And it did millions at the box office and still stands up as one of the best horror movies ever made. And uh, it's just amazing what you can do. It's kind of like that. Remember, like, the Blair Witch did. I mean, it's nowhere near the, as good and well-respected film, but they did the same thing, like, you know, a hundred grand or less, maybe, I think, that one. I want to say it was 30 or 60,000. Yeah, something like that, and it made millions, you know, at the box office. So just shows you, even in something like, you know, and people are saying, oh, you can't crack the poker world or whatever. You know, Hollywood, which is considered a sort of, you know, a, a sort of sacred place to get in and it's who you know, etc. If you come up with something hot and the right thing and, you know, budget kind of goes out the window, you can still bootstrap it up there, you know. So uh, I'm trying here to try and turn this into some sort of, like, um, value for the first ten minutes of this show, Alex. Help me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Barry, we all... It, it goes back to the old one-outer episodes where you and I would just, like, talk about movies for 30 minutes and not just care about poker at all. And I think we got more of our long-term fans. And I think we've gone more into poker. I, I guess we could talk more. The other thing is during the introductions, we've gotten a lot better about talking about poker life, which we didn't. we didn't do for a while. It would just be like, what are you doing? And it'd be, you know, we would talk about... Uh, Phantasm, that was an amazing horror movie, you remember that? And it had the weightlifting kill scene, that was insane, and then, you know, everybody would turn it off, you know, 10% of the way through, but, no, I guess, uh, I don't want to go to questions yet, I guess I want to talk about my week, <laughs> or something, I, I don't know, 
Well, the, the thing I've wanted, just something to bring up on the podcast, because this is the way I check in with my students, is it's really weird. The last, like, week, uh, I did two lectures. I, yeah, that was just last week. And I've never done that before. We're just, like, two times back-to-back I did hour-long lectures, and they they all were diagrammed and had hand history situations that had all the combinatorics and flopzilla and whatnot quizzes and a lot of that stuff and i've had this thing this is oh this is also something i've wanted to talk with barry is you you ever like just look around at your business and your life and you go what am i doing do you ever have that barry yeah not, not like in a bad way, just, uh, yeah, this is my sign-off from the One Outer Podcast. No, uh, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, that's it, folks. <laughs> we, Barry told me he pissed himself, and I said, that's it. I'm done. Not dealing with this senile co-host anymore. You all can find another one. No, but I, I was I not in like a bad way or like I want to leave what I'm doing. I really like what I'm doing, but... I had this question recently, and it was like, maybe you can tell, well, Barry, you're not really paying attention to poker anymore, but it's like, does anyone put out as much stuff about tournament poker as me? I think maybe like Jonathan Little, but is there anyone else? I was going to say, just from my sort of echo chamber, like being on Twitter and Facebook, is you and Jonathan Little I see, and you put out more than him, I think. Yeah, and that's... And to be fair to John, like he's uh John's got a little thing called standards, which uh you know, if I had maybe I wouldn't let my co host talk about going over his ankle at the premiere of Halloween for ten minutes at the beginning of his podcast. But no, I I put out a lot. I probably put out more than anyone. There's a whole I, I've just been asking myself lately, like, why do I do that? Like because I wish I could tell you why I do that, but I think the honest answer is I want to find the answers to the most prevalent poker questions. I wish I could tell you I was trying to be the best player or I was trying to be the best poker coach, but that's not true because if I was trying to be the best poker player, I would not be hammering the basics as much. And if I was trying to be like the smartest poker coach, uh, the best poker coach. I probably, I recently had a student. He's, uh, he's an online guy. He's like one of the top online guys. And I, I've had three or, no, three number one pocket partners. One, two, maybe just two. I, I'm not sure about the third one. And another like top five. But usually what they do is they come to me for like new ideas, right? Like, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And just like Tiger Woods hiring, a coach, I, I assume they, you know, they take like the 10% they like and the rest they know of, but maybe don't enact as often. And, but I had a guy who was just, uh, he needed more of a tune up and I didn't even take on the client. I just called my buddy, uh, another guy who'd done really, really well in online poker for years and years and has much more experience at like the high stakes stuff. And I said, would you take him as a client? Because I think you'd be a much better coach. I don't even want an affiliate commission or anything because I don't want that influencing my decisions as to who I reference to who. 
And it, it's just weird because it, it, it's one of those things you turn 30 and you look around and it's like, why is it I do those things? Like, do you ever have that very, like, why do I do these things? Why, why did it do this? Like, why, why am I attracted to this? When did this, what, why do I like trashy horror movies as opposed to everything in Hollywood today? What, what attracts me to that? But like, you really wonder why you like certain things, why you do certain things. Do you ever have times like that? Yeah, I think it's, um, I've been doing it recently, consciously, uh, in my business as you sort of go to, you know, right. a, new, a new chapter in it, a new level or whatever. And, Again, taking it back to poker, it's like if you don't take stock regularly and even once a month or once every six months even, before you know it, you can autopilot for years. And um, even people, you know, like with business, you can, or say poker, say these people are, you know, you're a, a profitable player, you're a tournament grinder, you're, you're out there playing the small to medium stakes or, you know, I don't know, 30 to $50 sort of buy-ins, regular uh, buy-in. And then on a Sunday, you might, you know, play a few of the bigger ones in the majors. And then you get a score for, say, I don't know, like 50,000 or whatever, or 100,000 even. Then it's without taking stock, what do you do on the Monday? You know, are you going back to your bread and butter, $20, $30 games, and that's your plan, right. putting something away for savings? Or are you, you know, is there going to be a rush of blood to the head and all of a sudden you're like, right, I'm, well, I can't play those little things. Now I'm playing, you know, I'm playing hundreds minimum and I'm playing two fifteens and, and that's it. And then, you know, so if you don't take stock, you can quite easily autopilot. And what that can do is you're not efficient. You're not making the best use of your uh, current time, current money and current situation. You know, like there's an optimal sweet spot of say you get to a two hundred thousand bankroll and you want to maybe use a bit more time for your family and that. So you've got to work out where your level is now at this new level of new money that you have, new time that you have, etc. Because if you don't, well, you can go back and just like there's nothing wrong with that. You can go back to just playing the twenty and thirty dollar buy-in tournaments. But are you really you know, is it that sweet spot of make, making the best use of your time and money? You know, even if you've got it in savings, it's only sitting there. You you can't save yourself rich, really. You know, you do have to invest it. Um, so I think, you know, like with me, I've been doing this in my business, like recently, the last few years, really kicked it up a notch. And, I'm, you know, I, when I started again uh, outside of poker, going into the, the auctions and buying and selling items, I was, you know, picking up things for maybe, you know, five, ten pound that I was selling for forty, fifty pounds or sometimes, you know, something for a five pound note that you would sell for two or three hundred pounds, you know, and like crazy returns and whatever. But that's good when you're starting again. But once you've got, you know, X amount of savings and you've got more money, then sure, you can still do your bread and butter bets. But there's a chunk of money savings or, you know, there's something that you can take yourself to the next level and it's about is that now the optimal best you see your time so i think it's really important to take stock you know and you're you're preaching to the choir here because i've been really thinking about that stuff lately which is yeah you bring it to business 
I, I kept wondering because I, I was looking at my business and it was like if you were trying to optimize the amount of money you would be making, I would be just the absolute worst when it comes to that, right? Like the amount of stuff I put out for free is not probably conducive to getting the most money, but if that's the right way to use that word, but I just want to know what works in most games. I'm really taken by the idea that if you learn how to play poker, you can live outside of any society on earth, kind of on the fringes, doing your own thing anywhere. I mean, they probably play poker. They probably play No Limit Hold'em in Bosnia, Zimbabwe, French Guiana, like all those countries. If you want to live anywhere, if you're getting a little worried about Say, let's say in the States, like in, in the States right now, we have a few, and I just want you guys to know, I never really want to talk about politics again on this podcast, because while it's personally very fascinating to me, I know you guys listen to this podcast for escapism, so I, I'm really trying to offer this without opinion or anything, but there's a few politicians now who are saying civility has to go because the other side is so bad. And there's a lot of, you know, if you're ever worried about where you live or if people are getting a little divided, and I mean, I've had this not just in the States, I've had this in other countries I've lived in, are being able to make money anywhere on earth is really powerful. So I wanted to know what works in most games. Like if you show up, in a random game in Seoul, South Korea, like how are you going to break that game as fast as possible? How do you dismantle that game? Not the biggest games, not the biggest tournaments, the most games. And I, I think that gives me a leg up in tournaments because every new table is a new game. It is a universe unto itself, and you have to crack it faster than anyone. I really do love that, but I've, I've given up a lot for that. I've neglected my, I neglected my health for years. I only really feel like I've gotten that back recently. Uh, it took six months for me to get my back into a position where I didn't... Yeah, you know the like computer programmer look, Barry, where you're just kind of like caved in because you're always hunched over a computer? Have you ever seen guys like that? Yeah. Yeah, I had that hardcore. It took me six months of... I had to work with a professional... Uh, one of my students' uh, sons, it, it, you know, lift this weight this way, like, oh, my God, this hurts. It's like, yep, that's why you need that. And it took, like, six months for me to, like, walk upright again because I'd spent 10 years just huddled over a computer, pouring over graphs and charts and databases and card runners' EV calcs and combinatoric list outs and hand history after hand history and student after student listening to why does this person think about poker this way? Why from this country they think about it like this? And But lately I'm saying, okay, let's make money with this business, get your affairs in order. And the thing I'm realizing, because you kind of like take stock of what you value at that point, and I think we talked about one of your favorite shows was about two guys that were just like hustlers and then I'm not going to remember the name of the show, but it was it was a show from the United Kingdom. And then the last episode is they make it and they get a call 
and the guy says, "Oh my God, they got these, yeah. you know, like yeah, yeah vacuums for fifty pound, right?" You can, yeah. By the way, you sound like such a cooler hustler when it's in pounds, right? When it's in pounds sterling, it sounds so much more badass than dollars, right? But yeah, you were telling me about that, and there's there's a big part of me that's been going. Okay, first, first things first, if you want to enjoy this, Alex, you got to admit you love this. You have to stop complaining about you don't have enough time, you don't have enough time to do this, you don't have to do that, because you know what? You made a choice. If you wanted one of these typical jobs with benefits and all that, you were probably bright enough, you could have gotten into college, you could have borrowed the money, you could have done it, you didn't do it. You chose that because, let's be honest, you love this. And the thing I'm starting to realize is, you brought up like you win fifty thousand, a hundred thousand. There's a big part of me that goes like, half the fun of going to these events is like, I gotta go in the Greyhound. Got grizzled, tired, I'm worn, hungry. Been in the quality end. I'm waking up at seven a.m. to drink coffee and lift weights before my competition. I want that one on the enemy. And I don't know if it would be as exciting if you just had half a million in the bank, right? Half the fun is, woo, I could change this right now. And I make decent money, right? And I make enough to pay the bills and live a pretty comfortable life. So I don't it, – it, it's, it's funny how you really – you realize grinding is really what you were into the whole time and that you've neglected your health and your personal relationships to do that. And then the last few months I've been trying to optimize things – and say, like, what's really important to me? And a part of that is just playing poker. I really love playing poker again. I've learned to appreciate it again. I, I was just listening to this book called uh, on Audible called Football for a Buck, and it was about the NFL has pretty much had a monopoly on American football in the United States for the entirety of our history, pretty much, except for one other league that eventually folded into the NFL really quick. And there was only really one ever challenge to that league. And anyway, at the end of the book, the, the league folded after three years. Uh, Donald Trump, actually, many people blame for ruining the league because uh, he owned one of the teams. It's a, by the way, if, you, if you're into American football in any way, I'd really recommend picking up this book. It is hilarious just to hear about this league and the players. But at the end of the book, they're talking about what happened when there was no second league in the United States for the biggest game in the United States. And, like, guys were killing themselves because they couldn't play. They couldn't do anything anymore. They gave up on life. And you get older and you realize, like, just being able to compete is really special. That competition, it got, does it get your blood going when you go to play cards still, Barry? Like, you still get excited, like, trying to pick someone off or pick off a bluff or make a bluff yourself? Like, do you still feel that? Yeah, I mean, in Vegas, when I was at June or July, yeah, June, um, which is, like, four months ago now, it's, yeah, I loved that trip. I just loved and enjoyed playing poker. Everything was, you know, good fun. I've had more profitable trips, but I really enjoyed that one. And I, my personal belief is, like, you will have your most profitable trips when you're in that frame of mind. If you're in that frame of mind, you can't lose. Well, you're not really – I, I don't really think you're going to get the jitters that really screw up a lot of people when they're playing. But, yeah, I, I've just been 
I've been taking stock and asking myself what's really important. And part of it is like, okay, you got to get, I've never been a money guy. I know there's some people that just love making money. That's never, I've been broke before. I've been very wealthy before. I really didn't see much of a difference. There's like, I used to have live in maids and like, I never had to do my laundry. And then when I moved to the States, obviously that's too expensive. And like, I've never thought of it, period. Like I've never went, Oh, I miss the days when somebody else did my laundry. I just go and do my laundry. I don't, feel those kind of things that other people feel but there's been a much more like okay you got to focus on the money because if you focus on the money you can take care of your mother and everybody for the rest of your life maybe you can do some other things you can sock it away uh you can travel that seems to be one of the few things that's really real to you and uh you can take a little bit more time off because it seems like your better ideas happen when you take time off you can create more because that seems to be what you like you can uh, play more poker because that seems to be what you like. Other thing I've been thinking about is as you get older, Barry, you, like, you start wanting to focus on the things. Like We'll answer some poker questions in just a second. But I love the fact that you went to Halloween because it's like that's your thing. You know what I mean? I love old school horror movies too. And it's funny, like as you get older, you realize oh, most television shows are crap. Uh, most Hollywood movies are crap. Most... Most of these self-help books are crap. Most of this, you know, you got to do what you love, right? And then you got to do a lot of it. I love that you went to Halloween, like the 40th anniversary, and you took your sister because weren't, weren't you telling me your girl is a little scared of uh, she's of, only, of scary she's movies? She's already seen the, the original Halloween, um, oh, yeah. one of the horror films that she did watch with me. But, yeah, she's not really into horror. She doesn't really like it. But I love that, like, as you get older, you start to focus on what really authentically makes me happy, you know what I mean? And you start doing it just because, like, screw what other people think, right? Like, when you're younger, it's like, okay, I gotta, uh, I gotta try to get to this party, and I gotta get with these people, and like, I gotta say these things, and it's, uh, uh, it, you get older, and it's like, nope, I'm going to Halloween, I'm going at midnight, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I don't even care if I go over my ankle. I'm going, right? And, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm saying that's it. It's it's like, you know, I used to um, go out drinking three, four times a week, you know, nightclubs, et cetera. And at the time, I did enjoy that, but now I don't. I think where the problems start is when you start, it's like anything, you keep doing things that you don't really enjoy. I do what I enjoy, and just now that involves just, you know, head down, working, and uh, watching a load of box sets and films and going to the cinema and then yeah, traveling as well. That's me just now. That's what I want to do. I'll maybe have some further midlife crisis at like 50. I want to start going out to nightclubs again, but I highly doubt it. <laughs> no, I mean, I think the weirder you get, the more you become yourself, the better you actually get at your job too. Because, was, oh, okay. Last time, my girl wasn't coming home till late because she was working late. And I, my DVR picks up the weirdest things. It's just, it's one of those things where it's like, it figures it out on its own. So it just, now anything with the word football in the title, it records. So I've got Aussie Rules Football on my DVR, which, not my thing. Uh, but it had like the C, it had the CFL and it had Johnny Manziel, who was like this, 
quarterback who like flamed out and he became an alcoholic and he, you know, had this tumultuous career was gone for three years and he showed up in like the worst team in Canada and he just kicked ass, Barry. Like I was watching it for a bit and I was just, you know, it was just fun to watch. Like every pass was a bomb. He's got the huge field to work with. And I was just goofing off watching that for a little while. And then I, you know, I turned around and went, what the hell? Like three hours went by, but I had like all these amazing ideas for my business and I was in such a good mood because yeah, you're doing what you really want. Like, do you ever get ideas for your business when you're like just mellowed out? watching Halloween for two hours and then like at the end you're like oh that'd be a good idea you ever have that yeah because again it goes to you know it's you're not otherwise you're autopilot and you're in you know you're right, right. working and you're doing so the brain's just go, you're just going to keep doing your repetitions of what you're doing and again with you know with poker or business or whatever it is if you don't reevaluate your current position and the current weaponry you have you can find yourself stuck in the same level through it's it's a sort of indirect fault of your own. You're still doing what made you successful up to this point, but you're not going to the next thing. Sometimes you right. need to let go of you know, I, I'm trying to think of an an example in poker. You know, say you enjoyed going and playing some little rebuy on a you know, it was on twice a week at your local casino or that, then maybe you just go, well, you know what? That time could be spent studying or playing higher stakes games where, you know, I'm going to make more money with my current bankroll and stuff. And you maybe only go to that game once every two months now for just the camaraderie and to meet up with old friends or whatever. But I think there is a point where, I'm not forcing people to do that or that, but you need to be honest with yourself if what you're aiming for, if you are shooting for the stars in terms of, you know, it, again, let's, you know, it's a poker podcast, so let's talk poker, like playing on the circuit, playing all these events, going out, you know, on the tour or going to Vegas and playing cash for however long, six weeks, two months, etc. Then you really need to probably be honest, like you need to cut some things that were, even though they're profitable and they got you to a point, if you're now at a level that dictates you're ready to take the jump, then sometimes you've got to sort of let things go, you know? Mm-hmm. No, it's uh, – t- I'm telling my next student I'm going to be a little late, but that's okay. He's, uh, <laughs> uh, if you guys heard the typing. Uh, Barry and I are a little – more long-winded today, forgive us. Yeah, you are absolutely right, Barry. And speaking of repetitions, let's get into some of these poker questions. Yeah. Okay, I think the first one's like six pages long, and I'm not even joking. <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I'll sort of... <laughs> this episode is just going swimmingly. That was a great transition into our questions section. Like, I don't even know if I can do this one, Alex. But, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, let's go back to just talking about horror films. I can't deal with reading out these questions. (laughs) Could you imagine us as like a morning talk show? All right, let's go. You'd be like the news girl, the one who like keys up the host, you know, with like the stories. It's like, all right, let's go to the news girl. Oh, my God, I went under I went over my ankle at Halloween last night. Well, why don't you read out the story? Well, it's six pages long. You sure you didn't edit it down before the show? No, I didn't. Oh, I'm sorry. But yeah, okay. Uh, this one, I'm joking. I'm exaggerating. It's six pages long, but the question is from Tom, and I actually messaged him and asked 
if he could cut it down a bit. And this is his streamlined version, which is still extensive. So um, let's just go with it. So he's got, hello, Barry. This is mostly a bankroll management question for Alex. I have recently discovered through many PokerDope.com calculations that field size in MTTs contributes immensely to variance in monetary results. Specifically, the difference between 100 player fields and 350 player fields in terms of variance would have a player experiencing upswings and downswings almost three orders of magnitude larger in the deeper field tourneys. Considering that it also takes about one and a half to three hours longer to play these 350 player tourneys online in 10 to 15 minute blind level structures, there is a lot of complexity unpacked here on this topic. In light of this discovery, I have come to the conclusion that as a serious hobbyist, one should bankroll build around these shorter field scheduled MTTs, assuming you study ICM and tourney strategy. So why not just play cash games online to build a bankroll? Could you guys talk about relative skill level between the two formats? I find the difference in play between $10 and $50 buy-ins on US facing sites to be almost identical until late tourney. I have never heard anyone say something similar about 50 NL and 200 NL online, for instance, or 1 and 2 and 2 5 live games in the same card room, for that matter. Obviously, I have my own take, but we'd really like to hear yours, both Barry and Alex. And then I'll read his main question after that bit. So on that, Alex, what do you want to say? Well, thank you for the email, Tom. The thing I always tell people, I have a lot of guys that come in and ask me, I want to make a living from poker. I want to make a living from tournament poker. And almost always I start with, that is a really bad idea. Because, and that's not to say it can't be done, but the way they want to do it is not really likely to lead to a ton of success. So when I was... The really great thing about being broke, and I'm I'm not being sarcastic or facetious or any of that. When I was like 18, I was just not having a ton of money. And uh, anyway, I just didn't want to go back to working security jobs or fishing or whatever. And I went with whatever worked. And what worked was I played from... I worked swing shifts, so I'd work from 2 to 10 p.m., and then I'd start playing at 11 p.m. till like 7 in the morning, and everybody was drunk off their ass or tired, and I'd play on these small networks, and I'd play small field tournaments, and I'd play small stakes, and eventually I learned, you go, just like what you're saying, you go up to $50 tournaments, there's very few really good players, especially if you play on weird networks or at weird times. And the most fun I ever had as a poker player was probably that first... Well, I mean, you say that now with the benefit of nostalgia. Let's be honest, I was pretty terrified my first year as a pro. But I did have a lot of fun that first year because I was playing weird hours, I was playing different sites. If I did venture on a poker stars, it would be like their $5 rebuy or like $10 rebuy, and I knew it was just an absolute shot, right? I never really thought I was gonna make a living off of stars. 
And I, you know, I, I made good enough money to like pay my bills and go to take college classes for fun. I got to travel a little bit. And then I started meeting up with players that played with only like the prime time hours and only stars and more higher stakes tournaments. And it didn't seem like the best players really rose to the top. It was a lot of, there were definitely like some guys that won and you were like, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. That guy's so much better than everybody else. But there was a lot of times a guy would win and you'd just be like, eh. And then there'd be other guys who you just thought were like really good and they just wouldn't do much of anything. And now that you're having these poker dope calculations come out, and for those of you who don't know, pokerdope.com is a variance calculator. Uh, it just gives you an idea of if a hundred thousand players with the exact same ROI play the same five thousand tournaments, what percentage of the time would each one get each profit share? So one of the first ones, I think I put this in the Myth and Poker Talent just as a caveat emptor to anyone who wanted to play online tournaments for a living. It is, and I didn't mean it as don't do it. I was just saying like the bigger the field size, the worse it gets, is you put a guy with a 40% ROI in the Sunday Million every Sunday for 10 years. And I think a few of you guys have heard this on past podcast episodes, but if you put that guy with a 40% ROI in the Sunday million for 10 years, he never misses a Sunday. I think it was like 45% of the time the guy's not profitable. Now, there was like one time out of 100, the guy effectively wins the Sunday million twice. And you got to understand, most of the big online pros, or maybe not the big online pros, but maybe like the guys who've made the most money, they're that guy. Uh, a lot of the other, if you look at like the top-ranked players, they're not having huge profit margins because – what they do is volume. They're they're playing a ton, and they're actually really good. They're just variance is just that tough. If you get ahead of it in any way, you're actually pretty amazing. Like I think uh, Mormon one, he's up there. He's in my like top three as far as like best online tournament players ever. And it's real. If he doesn't run good, it's hard for him to, like, just stack on the money. So what he ends up having to do is just play more than everybody. So there's a couple different ways you can put the odds in your favor. Uh, the way I always did it was I got on fringe networks and just a ton of them. Like, and I took flyers on really weird networks. And I would just put 50 bucks on the site. I would pretend like the money was gone, which most of the time it was. And you just would Google sites like countries that you knew were into poker, but you didn't know how much they were into poker. So I played on Malaysian sites. I don't think I ever got on an Italian site. I got on a Russian site, uh, just stuff like that, right? And uh, lottery sites are good like that. And then I just played more than anyone. I played at weird hours. I played small fields. I played more tables than anyone. I practiced so much that I could – you practice in your free time so that you see a situation. And the amazing thing to me is when you watch online players, like, try to figure out what they're going to do right then, right? And it's like, no, 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 no. You should really have a pretty damn good idea of what you're going to do in every situation before it happens. So I'm not trying to learn my game at the table. I'm not auditioning new material while I'm performing, 
I'm, I'm, excuse me, I'm not practicing new material while I'm performing. I practice that new material in my garage and then bring it out at the show. And what I did is eventually I automated a lot of my decisions. I had a very automated style of play. It, that came from like just playing video games and stuff like that uh, growing up and playing more than anyone and taking as little from my bankroll as possible. Because as you can see, those swings got, those swings got insane. There was a lot of times I would just lose for three months straight. I would just show up and I would lose. And uh, poker observers are not wise as to why that is. So there's a lot of people, oh, I shark scope you and you're da 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 And your friend's like, man, you're really playing like crap lately or whatever. And it's just, okay. And then you start winning and everybody, everybody, when you're winning, a lot of people forget your bad times. And when you're on, when you're having bad times, everybody forgets your good times. And you got you have to ignore all of that. So I really think if you want to make a living, oh, as far as like, oh, also the, also the skill difference between cash games and tournaments, which I know you wanted me to talk about a little bit as well. I learned, it took me very little time to learn how to beat sit and goes. Uh, like low stakes sit and goes. Then it took me about a year to figure out tournaments. Uh, a year from say like 17 and a half to like 18 and a half, right? And I, like literally my first thousand tournaments on Poker Stars, I had a negative 20% ROI. I was just trying to figure things out. And it took me months upon months of just hard research. Uh, when I was already a professional player for years, uh, a successful tournament player had played internationally in live tournaments. It took me my, it took me everything I had to learn how to play cash. And I'm not talking like 2550 NL. I'm talking like 1-2. Uh, to like beat 1-2 cash you got guys who really know what they're doing there. They know how to turn hands into bluffs. They know how to thinly value bet. They know how to three bet, take charge of the pot. They know how to bluff. And most tournament players can get away with never knowing that stuff. You can just be uh, a rejam monkey for your entire tournament career and just pretty much do nothing in the beginning stages of the tournament. And if you enter enough soft tournaments and your tight is right – you're likely going to do okay, but you can take advantage of all of those people. Uh, 200 NL was very good money with rake back back then because there was more bad players, but also the good players weren't as good. It's much tougher now, and I don't think there's as much money as there used to be in those kind of games, especially in 2-4. Like, I used to play 2-4, and I did okay. I'm never going to act like I did amazing at that. But it used to be way easier. Like the last time I saw a 2-4 game, I was like, forget it, right? And all of this is online, by the way. I'm not, I'm not talking live. Tournaments, though, online tournaments, I still play like 109s on ACRM and just dumbfounded by how bad the play is. And... There's a lot of times I play those Sunday Millions on ACR, and I'm like, how in the hell did you get a ticket in here? 
I don't. So I always think if you're trying to make money, I, I think the play is tournament poker. I also think it's the most fun form of poker to play because you get to exploit people so much because usually you change tables before they figure it out. So you get to play real balls to the wall all the time. If you play a number of tables, I, there's few things I love more in this world than listening to hip hop, drinking coffee and playing multiple tournaments at a time. It, I love my job. My day job is pretty much the best job in the world. Just getting to help people to helping people make money at poker is really fun. Even the people that don't pay me anything, I really have a strong appreciation for them just because I never, there wasn't a whole lot for free when I started other than books at the library. And I think it's really neat. Uh, you could live in a country, you know, you could be in Albania and watching one of my videos on YouTube and going to your local game to win money that you use to take a girl to the movie theater. It's so cool to be a part of that process. It, But I really wish I got to play more because tournament poker, just playing multiple tournaments, play it, you know, just gunning it deep in tournaments and going for the win. Like there's nothing like that. And I, I really recommend playing small tournaments, weird hours, weird sites, small fields in order to make your money and really just getting the thrill out of every final table, every hand, every deep run, every time you dominate early in a tournament. Okay, but I'd like to just add just a smattering, and it sort of touches on what you're saying and what you said, Alex, as well. It's like when I was playing, you know, live mainly, I was doing well in the local games because these were tournaments with maybe like 50, 60 players. And you quickly mastered the player pool and you knew, like, literally down to, you know, some players, you could tell it was aces or kings in certain situations, like, 99. .9. Actually, no, 100% of some players, you could tell, you know, and mm -hmm. simply wouldn't four bet queens or jacks or anything or ace king, etc. You know, you knew it was aces or kings against certain players. Um, and to sort of like, take that out a bit, I started playing, you know, online and I was buying into the nightly was it the nightly hundred grand on stars, like 162 oh, yeah, yeah. Oh I my god. Like buying into that now and again and playing and you know that had seven nine hundred players and final table it, whatever and then playing other things. And then you hit a bit of reality and you're playing these tournaments where there's two thousand players in it. You know, and you think why am I not final table in these? Why am I not? Well, because there's two other people trying to do it. And then the real time and only time that I was consistently profitable over a huge sample size was for like the two years that I grinded out the 180 mans on stars. And that was because there's only 180 men in it. There's some regs who you had all noted up and then hold on manager, etc. And then you had people coming in recreational who were just playing them badly, and you just grinded out your return on investment in them. So sometimes it goes back to like, well, Alex, I think this is an Alex quote, or certainly on what he says, it's like, you know, it doesn't have to be sexy sort of thing to make money in poker. You can do things that are seem not flash, but in actually, I, I disagree. I think it is flash to sit there at the end of the year and go, I played those games, the variance was very, you know, manageable, 
and I grinded out a thirty thousand dollar profit or whatever in them. I mean that's that's success, and that's what people have got to maybe just. It's hard. I think the more you get into poker, you realise and appreciate that that's a success. Whereas when you just get in, you're like, if I don't final table an EPT, I'm a failure. Right, and there's a lot. Yeah, that was definitely me at twenty. But there's what you hit on something which is really big, which is people want certain jobs because of what they imagine the job to be like and the flashing of having that job. It's like the average executive chef in the United States makes $70,000, right? And like literally hot dog vendors make more money than that. But like telling people you're a hot dog vendor is much different than telling people you're an executive chef at some French sounding name, right? And it's the same thing with professional poker. You say professional poker, people start thinking of you in like Monte Carlo with the Versace shades and staring a guy down and picking off a bluff and the big check and everything. It's like most of my job, most of my life, uh, well, it's just like if you were trying to become a surfer, a professional surfer, everybody sees those guys in the competitions and go, oh, my God, those guys must have the life. They have to do lessons in between competitions to pay their bills and they have to do meet and greets and they have to do group lessons with their sponsors in order to – keep their sponsorship deals so they can fly all that equipment out there to do another competition, which, by the way, if they finish 20th in, they get, like, $4,000 back and, you know, a noogie and say, like, good job, buddy. And that's mostly professional poker, you know? If you want a consistent living, a lot of times you do have to do lessons. You do have to do – you have to get out there and work. You have to help people – you have to teach people for these companies or whatever – and then if you do play poker, yeah, it's not sexy playing 45 man. That used to be my bread and butter, like 45 mans, three table tournaments, used to just 20, 30 table sit-and-goes. Uh, it, I think if you don't love it for the game of it, right, like I, I just, to me, like playing online poker is almost like playing just a video game. It's just I like winning. Like I almost forget it's money. You know, there's a lot of times – a check would come in my mail. And, you know, of course, like, if I was at the nightly 100 grand final table, I would feel it. I'm not acting like I'm subhuman, but I just wanted to play and not worry about it. So I, it felt just as good to knock somebody off their big ship stack heads up in a 45 man as it did in some of these other big open field tournaments that I played. But I think you're right, Barry. A lot of people come into it and that, it doesn't feel good to them to win these little tournaments. Like, you got to go big. I remember that was all anybody I came up with. All they could ever focus on was how do you make money quick? I was sitting at a cash game. This is always stuck in my memory. I was sitting at a cash game one time online, and it was $0.05, cent, $0.10, cent, and the two guys were absolute nits, and they were like your guys at your casino. I knew where they were at all the time, right? I just – always knew where they were at, and I was just bleeding these guys for a buck at a time, and it seemed like, you know, I was making, hell, it'd be hard to describe an hourly, but I it was easily out-earning my job at Arby's, the five bucks an hour, right? And then you could just bust them at will when they had top pair, which is like ten bucks here, ten bucks there. And these 
people I knew, uh, these kids I grew up with, who maybe 10 bucks didn't mean a whole lot to them. You know, they were just like, oh, man, you got to play bigger. This is lame. This is dumb. This is a boring game. And it's uh, it's a real lack of perspective. And it's like, you know, all the money spends the exact same. You don't go to the grocery store and hand them $35 and they go, excuse me, sir, this came from a 45 man. I can't accept this. It's all the same. Yeah. And we'll get to the, do we have time to just do the last part of his question, Alex? Although I think we've maybe touched on it in uh, some of these answers. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so he has, which brings me to my main question for Alex, finally. <laughs> when can playing deep field MTTs with 300 players or more make sense? I suspect ROIs can potentially be much, much higher. Um, but can you discuss how that can fit into Uh, Barry, absolutely sickest. Yeah. Sorry, I lost you. Could you say the last part of that question again? Um, what did you hear up to there? But how do they fit into a normal schedule or something? Oh yeah. Those? How do they fit into an overall game selection strategy? I think it's fascinating to think about your absolutely sickest, most ridiculous runs, and how the overall sickness of a run can be potentially wasted. Or, or su superfluous in a shorter field tourney. Uh, this is opposed to being on a similar run in a large field tourney, only now there are 40 players left, and you can have a stupid big stack that you can now leverage, assuming you're good at this, even more to possibly enhance return on investment. Thanks, guys. That last part to me, like, oh, no, what if my good run... Yeah, comes in like a bigger tournament. There's a big part of me that's like, yeah, and maybe if I do this certain dance, like the rain will come. Like, you know, maybe if I look at this pinball machine a specific way, it'll start having rhyme or reason. It's you're gonna enter, you're gonna play all these pinball games, and the balls are gonna bounce wherever the hell you want. It, I mean, wherever the hell they want to, right? That's just that. And when should you play a big tournament? I, this is a good note to go out on. Whenever it is going to cause you no worry at all, I really think that is the only time you should gamble, right? And that isn't to say like, oh, but man, I've got nothing in the bank. I shouldn't play poker. It's like, well, if you've got no dependence, you've got – you're living with your mom or whatever. Or like you're living in this small place and you've got a job that pays for it, even if it's at a gas station or whatever. You're, you have a lot of power there. Right, you have a lot of power. Like the society might not realize how much power you have, but you have a lot of power because you can go for broke because you got nothing to lose. Right? If if you're sleeping on other people's, when I started all this, I was sleeping in a friend's garage. Right? And that's an immensely powerful place to be because where am I going to go? That's like where could I fall to? If I screw up. I'm just going to wake up the next day and do landscaping again, you know? That's it. It's not a big deal. Now, if you're taking out money that can hurt you in any way or just will cause you to be in a bad mood the next day with your wife or kids or uh, your husband and your kids, well, now that's a little bit too much money. you got to play with amounts you, you don't really care about. You have to set aside an amount of money you don't care about. And I always... How many big field tournaments would I play? 
Um, usually, like, if I was 10 tabling, I would put up, like, one or two would be on Poker Stars. Po- Poker Stars would be... Poker Stars would be the last tournaments I loaded up. The way the way I made the most money when I was multi-tabling, people do, people do this wrong, in my opinion. They, it's amazing when you see guys on day two of a scoop that's like a $2,000 buy-in and their stack is worth like $7,000 and they're 12 tabling because they really do have to get that 45 cents an hour from that 109 turbo while that stack that's worth $7,000 is going on, right? That makes no sense to me. The way you make your money, in my opinion, is this. You get on, well, first you got to play as much as possible. You need to get on networks that are somewhat stable, take that have small field tournaments that it, this is a really big deal with Bitcoin now. You can do all of this much more easily. Uh, you get on those networks. You register for – take the amount of t- tournaments, the most tables you feel you can play. Subtract so by two and play that. So if you feel like you can do 10, you should probably be at eight. And then load up eight tournaments start with the softest site and do not go to the strongest site until you've loaded up two tournaments from each of the softer sites, right? So you usually have like a four-site rotation. And then go just stay with those tournaments, those eight tournaments or whatever, and do not register for anything else. What most people do is they register for all their tournaments at the beginning of the day, you know who you are, you're thinking about this, and I'm going to tell you exactly what happens. You go on the craziest run you've ever gone on, and you can't handle it because you're not busting any tournaments, and soon you're 26 tabling, right? So you're trying to handle your biggest runs of the year, and at the same time, you got this 336 max running in the background, this $3.30 six max in the background when you're deep in one of your biggest tournaments of the year. No, no, no. Sign up for your eight tournaments. When you bust one, register for another. And always go from the watering hole first, okay? Go to the softest site first. You will know the softest site. It will have the clunkiest software, the, the most players limping in, okay? If you don't know how to deal with players limping in, you got really got to brush up on some strategy. That's going to be in my new book. I didn't mean for this to be a plug, but there you go. Uh, you... And if you're going to late reg, that's okay, but make sure you always have at least 50 big blinds. And if you start going deep in a tournament that has some real meaning to you, don't load up anything, right? I've gone on six-figure runs with this strategy, and I have gone on six-figure downswings with the opposing strategy of you got to play 12 hours a day and you got to play as much volume as possible. And then gradually you can expand how many tournaments you can play. I would really recommend never going with more than four sites and because that's pretty easy because you can split up your – I would always recommend one screen. Uh, two screens, I just see people missing all the time. Uh, just missing details because your head has to be on a swivel. And sometimes you just get tired and you don't look over at something. I would always recommend one screen. It doesn't have to be that big. I would pretty much never recommend more than 12 tables. Uh, three tables per each site, four sites. Usually, almost always, every poker client can handle three tables at a time together and will pop up at the right time, and you won't have much overlap. And, yeah, I think 
that's the way I would work it and just have two tournaments, three max from the site that has huge fields. So, and again, uh, I just, I don't even really think there's a necessity to play that much on stars, but if you want to, that would be how you do it. Okay. And that is all we got time for this episode. Alex does have a student, um, a lucky student who's a way to find out the inner workings of Alex's mind, even more so than on the podcast. Um, Alex, how can people get in touch with you for information about your webinars and your other products and services that you offer? Speaking of webinars, Barry is going to post a free webinar today that I just put online. Uh, it is a preview for Master the Flop, which is back on sale for the first time in, I want to say, nine months. It is no longer 300 bucks. It is 100 bucks right now for a limited time. And if you want to see a free preview for it, it is out on YouTube at my channel, Assassin Auto Coaching. Also, check out my classic training videos on Tournament Poker Edge. They're very nice to commission some more long-form hand history reviews where I get to get deeper into nuances and tournament poker theory, and I get to I get to drill you quite a bit there. And uh, our friend G won a contest with Tournament Poker Edge, so guess who gets to review one of his hand histories, Barry, on Tournament Poker Edge? Oh, boy. I'm going to get some revenge for all those really difficult questions you're sending in, G. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, I think we still have questions from G as well, backlogs. G is a smart dude. I like how he's like, oh, this guy's made a couple bucks from poker. I'll listen to him. Let me send in some free questions uh, and then get some questions answered. I like it. I love G, by the way. I'm just teasing him. Uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter, at the Auto. And if you want to sign up for my newsletter, which – We'll get you free podcasts, free articles, free hour-long training videos that I spend way too much time putting together. Uh, go to my old blog at PokerHeadRush.com. It's not much to look at, but go to the top right and sign up for the newsletter there. And then that'll get you a pristine newsletter that goes out once every couple of days, couple of few. And it brings you free strategy content to your email inbox periodically. I guess I ran out of words. but uh, And if you want to make sure it goes to your email inbox, put in your contacts in your email, alex at pokerheadrush.com. That'll make sure it doesn't go to your spam folder or anything. I promise you 80 90% of the time it is actual free content. If I'm ever letting you know about one of my new products. It's I try to keep those few and far between. I, I know your guys' time is worth something, so I try to uh, I try to use it carefully. Okay. And that is all we have time for this week. Keep your questions coming in for Alex. The questions at oneouter.com on the email or you can tweet them at oneouter.com or post them in the Facebook group and they will get read out on a future episode. Alex, thanks for joining us today. I will try to keep myself safe between now and next week's show and avoid any further accidents. Um, I know how stressed you were. You had to stop leaving the station for like five minutes. Uh, thanks for that. You were there when I needed you. Um, and the joke is, it was actually me responding to Alex after going over my ankle. They adjust the podcast an hour for him. So... 
typical poker player. You know, <laughs> it's all about his problems. Uh, I'm joking, of course. Um, thanks for listening. Keep your questions coming in. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers. The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu.